So another Darko Audio podcast is upon us. With me this time out is one Dave Turner. Although Dave, on on Discogs, it says you're called Deadly Dave Turner. <laughs> <laughs> There's a few other names that have been used as well, but yeah, that's it's kind of something that I've, I've hung on to even in my email addresses. Uh, I quite liked it at the time. I'm not deadly. So you're a mastering engineer, right? Yes. Yes, indeed. Guilty. And what's the name of the studio that you work at currently? I work out of two studios um, on the south coast of England, a town called Hastings, mm-hmm. um, 360 Mastering and a Curve Pusher. Uh, mm-hmm. One specialises in vinyl cutting and the other one speci- doesn't specialise in vinyl cutting but undertakes all types of, you know, digital mastering, I suppose, you describe it these days. Right. Both different roles, um, um, both equally enjoyable. Okay. So, because you got in touch with me about... I did. Um, <laughs> about a, a new, a forthcoming fabric release, right? I did. Um, and I think you, you were quite excited that it was being done in high res. We can't say what it is, but it's being done in high res. And that's quite unusual, I think, right? Ab- absolutely. It's... Um, yeah, we can't mention it by name, but I can, mm. can just say that it's forthcoming. Um, and yeah, I mean, most of these kind of projects that I work on are, I mean, they've, I've, I've done all these fabric albums for 20 years, over 20 mm. years. Um, and they've, you know, come in, in various levels of sources. But mm. when this kind of thing came to me, it's kind of a bit special because it's, obviously been prepared by a a dj who is very very um uh into what he's doing sound wise so i went the extra level um to remark to master it at at high res it's not something Mm. i normally do i know actually i normally master these days at the resolution that a, um, a, a track or a project is provided at but um, and that's why the reason that I, I got in touch with you, because I thought you'd, you'd quite like to hear it. And, uh, you know, it's fabric. I know you love, I know you love the series. I do. Um, I really and, do. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that, that's, that's how we, that's why we came into contact and how you suggested having this chat. Yeah. So you've, you, you've done all of the fabric releases. Uh, bar, bar a handful, I'd say. Right. And, I mean, it's yeah, it's, 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 it's over twenty years, one a month. Mm. So um, yeah, it's two two hundred and fifteen, I think, or two two hundred. It's coming up to two hundred and ten. Sorry, in right in, in of their releases. So, and for people that don't know what fabric is, I mean, it's a club in London that started a sort of was it a it was a monthly DJ mix series back in the nineties. I think the first one was James Lavelle, right? Right, right, I'm going to have to go to my references. <laughs> <laughs> Craig Richards. Craig Richards. Oh, Craig yeah. Richards was the first one. Yeah, of oh, course. He's, yeah, he... of course he's, he's still uh, still a resident there. Right. Um, after all these years, and he, yeah, he did the first one. So you've been doing like roughly one a month of these, I guess, yeah, for 20, 20-odd 20 years. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> James Savelle did the first Fabric Live mix, which was, ah, that's it was like Fabric right. and Fabric Live alternated on a monthly basis, as, as far as the releases were concerned, reflecting the Friday and the Saturday night, you know. Oh, that um, was the difference. Club. Okay, I yeah, never knew the difference. Yeah, I never... yeah, yeah, so... yeah fr- Fabric Live was Friday night. Um, ah. You know, a bit more left field, different musical styles were... Saturday, never, Saturday night was, you know, the, the typical kind of, or not uh, the atypical fabric sound. So. Mm. I must admit, it's, I did, I have found it harder to connect with most of the fabric lives than the fabrics. Oh, and I don't yeah. even know why. <laughs> but they they well, did get weirder towards the end. Like, right? I, I don't yeah, know. Well, <laughs> Which um, is good in some ways. Yeah, I mean, you, you would hear the more, uh, the more extreme music and fabric live for sure. Right. Uh, but there again, there was some very, very wonky stuff in the fabrics too. <laughs> yeah. So could you tell us a bit about how a fabric compilation like that comes together from sort of a behind-the-scenes viewpoint? 
Uh, well, that I know, uh, I have limited knowledge of. I mean, mm. my first uh, um, encounter with any album throughout the month would be the, the, the product manager ringing up, say, we need to come down, we've got the mix ready to master. Um, mm. And they would always come down to the, to, the, to the session, which was the most wonderful thing because... It's it's great having um, the clients attend mm. to just just to meet people, <laughs> and mm. on many many occasions they'd bring the DJs with them, which mm. is which stands which which made those albums stand out for me as well because I can go back and think about those people that I'd encountered over the years and mm. how much fun it had been in the studio, uh, meeting, chatting, hearing the stories. Because DJs have so many stories, um, so that was that was special. But no, f through uh, twenty years, I think there's been five different kind of like fabric product managers that have passed through my studio doors and mm. had wonderful time with all of them. So unfortunately, it, 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 <laughs> it hasn't had it happened for a while. But there you go. Right. And would you like? If if the DJ was present, would you look to them for some sort of guidance on trickier areas or areas where it's not clear what they would kind of really want to accentuate or not? I don't know. Um, they would normally be the ones who would say, "Oh, this might be a bit might this um, transition might be a bit tricky because it's going from a, a an unmastered source to one that has already been mastered." You know, mm. we have to look take care of this um but i mean that's just those are the general things that i'd normally take care of anyway just um listening through and mastering right i'd kind of like ride the mix as it's rolling along you know the, the music's loud and the lights are down and you kind of kind of try to get into the into the into the space of where this music comes from mm. And so I would assume that all the all the tracks on a fabric mix would be copyright cleared before they they come to your studio, uh, right? Yeah, that's all handled by by the um, uh, by fabric prior, you know, in consultation with the DJ and as far as what records he can and can't use. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, that's always always kind of like finalised by the time it gets to to me. I mean, I know we discussed that. Yeah, you know, the the latest one that you're working on mm -hmm. was, ma well, is yeah, is mastered in high res, and you said that's mm -hmm. not usually the case. So, what would be your sort of standard archive format for that? Um, I'd I'd nearly nearly always master at twenty four forty four because mm -hmm. I'm, I'd um, be um, well, a the, the majority of sources are at, at that or sixteen forty four or twenty four forty four, and um, Obviously, I don't have to do any conversion afterwards to to generate a Redbook CD master. Um, right. So that that would always be the standard for a for mastering. Um, but they, as I say, they don't only normally be at forty four or 40, 48 sources. So um, there's not, not not much of a, a shake there. Um, so yeah, well, I mean, what's your take on this, Dave? I mean, do you, do you see the value in more more bits in the depth or a higher sample <laughs> well, rate I, or not <laughs> I, I love this album as you see I, I this this new one i think it sounds fantastic and uh it's, i think it's you know it's well worth for, for, to listen to at that resolution um mm. it still sounds good <laughs> once I've, once it's been you know tr traded but uh it's just so anyway <laughs> But but your but your work as a mastering engineer would have far more of an impact on sound quality than the archive format, right? Um, yes, I, I guess so. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, because you're the guy that's in charge of making, you know, adding polish or not, or you know, sort of almost like t t finalizing the sound. Of, Absolutely, yeah. of the record, right? So that's that's got to transcend whatever delivery format goes out there. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. I mean, because I, I, I don't know whether you know this or not, 
but in my, well, in my region anyway, in my territory, so obviously I'm in Germany, the fabric mixes aren't on Spotify at all. Right. Um, right. But they are, some of them are on Tidal, but not all of them. I mean, I, I've bought the CDs, the ones I really want to own, the ones I really love. Um, well, but, yeah. <laughs> that opens up the subject. Yeah, I mean, I think if you if you, if you want something, you should get it on CD. Uh, mm. I'm I'm not a, a great advocate of streaming. I'm afraid. I know it's might have saved the industry to a certain extent, but uh, it's not for me. So I've, I've, I I if I want to get an album. And you could go out and buy any fabric CD probably for a couple of quid on eBay. Yes, you something. can. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, I buy CDs, a couple of CDs every week now because they're so cheap and mm -hmm. there's so many out there that I haven't got that I want. So, uh. mm. I mean, because all the fabrics, well, the fabric CDs as they were, I mean, up until the sort of original series ended a couple of years ago, they all came in that metal tin, right? And yep. With a yep, yep. Which is very unusual. I mean, it can be a little bit frustrating sometimes because, well, they rattle around a bit, a bit in there. But, um, I mean, I think, I don't know whether you have any favourites, Dave. I mean, do you want to know what mine are? Because I did oh, make a, bri then, yeah, a brief yeah. mental list. So, <laughs> Amalgamation of Sounds, which are, I've, I've probably mentioned to you before, which I really love. You mentioned that to me. I had a listen this morning, actually. I listened yeah. to it on YouTube. <laughs> oh, <my laughs> Just God. to remind myself of what it was. I mean, because yeah. I say that is very, very early. I couldn't, I couldn't remember that at all, I'm afraid. <laughs> I will go back to it, though. <laughs> I'll, I'll, find the, uh, I'll find the DDP in my archive of, of, um, of production masters and burn myself a CD. Because I haven't got the I haven't got the CD. But do you ever hear like do you ever like listen back and go oh my god I can hear a mistake there or well, I would do that differently now? No. Or, oh, it's, oh. There might be a couple that I might do something differently now, but only because I'm a bit I'm a bit more hands off now with mastering than maybe I used to be. Right. Uh, yeah, but that's maybe I'm just getting lazy. <laughs> I mean, because the, the other ones I really loved, uh, I could, okay, so Surgeon, I played that one to death, so, I still oh, yeah, do. I, 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 rem I remember Surgeon because he came down to the studio when I was based in Fulham, so hmm. that's really cool, um, you know, someone like him coming in. Uh, it's not really my my cup, cup of tea, but it was, it was great. Uh, it's funny you should say Surgeon obvious reasons that will become apparent um next <laughs> next okay uh sandwell district okay i mean, I, another, I mean another real sort of cold techno yeah, kind I know, of mix and, right yeah and i know it's very popular uh with uh, this is the thing with these albums there's so many of them that mm. very few people have the same favorite because um but i have i have heard you know samuel mentioned very um with very high regard amongst my friends <laughs> it's just so i mean I, yeah okay it's I, if you're not into techno you're not going to dig it at all it's going to be like a bit boring i would think do you do you, did you listen to the shackleton one I, I did buy that. You know what? That that is a really weird one. I'm glad you mentioned it. Yeah. Because it crazy. actually that makes me feel really uncomfortable. Like when I'm <laughs> when I'm listening to it, I'm like, this is it's almost like there's it I know this is gonna sound ridiculous, but it sounds like witchcraft. Like there's it's, some kind of it's, it's the, the percussion is just it's yes. all consuming. It's all consuming, yeah. I, I had I went back to that recently because someone had said had said they oh, that's my is my favorite oh okay I'll check it out again but I I never really listened back to any of these albums it's like because mm. um unless they're particular favorites in like um then I it's on to the next one for the next month I'm afraid mm. to say. Uh, but but yeah. I do fondly remember a lot of the attended sessions, I must say. Right. Mm, that's good. Okay, one more, and then I'll, I'll stop being enthusiastic about fabric mixes. But the last one that really <laughs> really blew me away and still does is, um, I think this might have been a Fabric Live, actually, was Special Request. Oh, okay. <laughs> I just I just thought it was monstrous. I loved, I loved, I love all of it. Okay, I just, brilliant. But, 
<laughs> I can tell the tone of your voice. You're like, well, yeah, no, it's no, good. It's, 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 I'm just drawing a blank. It's, right. I, I, I can, <laughs> only because, you know, I'm sure it was brilliant. I'm sure, and, I, and it will be when I listen to it again. But, but uh, Is it, how long ago was that? Crikey. Four years, maybe? Three oh, okay. years? pretty recent i mean is it just like that they're all like they've just become one long mix for you i'm afraid so yeah it's like we're yeah. going to one incredibly long night in fabric and uh funny enough i've never even been to the club <laughs> yeah i've never been either i mean I, I i just like these things as home listing i mean that's what they're designed for they're designed for like listing at home or you know on the subway or wherever right I in mean, the car in the car i'd be amazing in the car I don't, I don't have a car, so it's kind of hard for me to relate to that. Hire but. one. <laughs> yeah, I guess I could get, get an Uber drive around. <laughs> but you're, I mean, I don't want to pigeonhole you as just somebody who's just as fabric mixes, dance music, electronic music. Because oh, you've no, all, I'm jack, right? jack of all trades. I do all sorts. I mean. So I, should, we t- should we talk about your work with David Gray? Oh, crikey, yeah. That's the, let's, swing that. it, let's swing it that way. Like back, because you, you, was it you that were... You yes, said that you worked yeah, on yeah, White yeah. Ladder, right? I did, I did. What year was that? Oh, 1998 or nine? 1999, yeah. So at the, about the same time I was starting the Fabric series, I was also um, mastering that record, which is kind of still the, kind of the, the most successful record I've ever done. Um, it's mm. sold 15, God knows how many million records around the world, so... Um, and that, yeah, completely different. Um, and uh, I still, I guess, as a mastering engineer, you kind of, you generally take on whatever works offered to you. Mm. <laughs> um, I mean, I could, and um, I've, I recently remastered his new album, and mm. it's a joy to do such projects alongside, you know, a lot of electronic music. Mm. Um, and well, every other genre, you know, I really, yeah, I do, I do them all. Did did the success of White Ladder take you and David Gray by surprise? Um, it, it didn't. Uh, yes, I, I think it took everyone by surprise, but uh, I think everyone was well aware of how brilliant it was. It was, mm. you know, it's a really special mastering session that because they were doing it off their own backs on their own money mm. um in uh, you know and it wasn't like a um i wasn't kind of like in a a premier league mastering environment then so it, it wasn't expensive i was kind of doing it through a friend who was also the um producer and engineer on the record and um, I was just blessed to, to, that it landed in my lap, and mm. uh, I think everyone knew that it was going to be, it was going to be big, but no one knew how big. But, and I knew as soon as all my friends started mentioning it to me, they'd heard it, and uh, mm. yeah, and that's it. I mean, because up until that point, David Gray had been, he'd be just been a sort of uh, just putting out a, a very solid good album every couple of years but they never sold in huge amounts and in my mind and correct me if i'm wrong here i kind of always like parked him mentally next to somebody like martin stevenson you know like as just a a bit of a, 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 a bit of a national yeah a troubadour a national treasure but not yeah. really very well known you know yeah 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 and then he, then white ladder came out and it, it just exploded and the guy was all over everywhere um but it was such a, a brilliant mishmash of sound, like you know the the, the electronic influence. Um, it, it was it was it was very very cleverly done um, on a very very low budget. So that, that's what probably gave it its wonderful charm. Mm. So I'm glad you mentioned the electronic influence there because there was an Orbital remix, right? Of this, of was it? Please forgive me. Yeah. Yep. 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 And I. I I'm a big Orbital fan, so I kind of... Actually, that was my only sort of border skirmish with White Ladder. And I love that remix, but... I did, that, I did Orbital's last album, because... Uh, did you really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah. Yeah. Don't really know what I can say about that and be polite. Uh, <laughs> <Sorry. wait. laughs> well, you, no, you can praise the mastering, if you like. <laughs> I, d- I didn't... I, honestly, I didn't get more than a few tracks in before I went... Fair I'm enough. sorry. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, Dave. I don't want so, to be rude. No, no, but... no. Sorry, Phil. Sorry, Paul. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because yeah, I, mean... 
I loved everything. Even Wonky, I thought was great. But then they did that. Was it Tiny Foldable Cities? Was a single. Monsters exist, I think. Yeah. Right. I just thought, mm, yeah, I don't know what they were trying to make a pop album or one that would do better in the charts. I'm not quite sure what the aim there was, but anyway, I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, moving, moving on, moving swiftly on. I'm I'm not a music critic. <laughs> no, no, I'm sorry. I just <laughs> I I I'll criticise the sound of people's records, but <laughs> yeah, okay. So what? You know, some okay. Somebody asked me yesterday. Like John, how do I listen for good, good mastering? Like, what what is it that I should be focusing on? You know, in order to kind of work out is this a good master or a bad master? Do you have any sort of pointers for just people out there, Dave? You know, to, well, what to focus on? Your your attention shouldn't be drawn to anything in particular, so you shouldn't mm. be noticing it being searingly bright or too much sub or bass light, you know, those, 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 those are the things that you're looking for in mastering, um, mm. over compressed. I mean, that's, it just sounds hard and, and tiring. Uh, yeah. That's a badly mastered, could be a badly mastered, um, track or it could have been badly mixed you know it's, it's beyond the mastering engineer to do anything about it but right um you're just looking for a, a good balance of sounds it's like you know you, you, you that's effectively all mastering is it's just like making it sound as pleasant as possible <laughs> yeah no for sure but i mean do you, do you still feel pressure either explicit or implicit to deliver loud masters or louder masters or is is that it's it's genre specific i'd say really yeah absolutely um, so are you, are you allowed to say which genres yeah i mean i've i've yeah and if you're doing if you're doing hip-hop kind of stuff um that's really got to be loud it's kind of got mm. to be all guns blazing you know all, all all, all frequencies, the lows, the very lows to the very highs, it's kind of got like be in your face. But mm. you know, you, you don't want that for a for an, an acoustic duo <laughs> playing a double bass and then you know, and a guitar. Um, mm. That that kind of thing you you preserve, or for me, I preserve as much of the natural dynamic dynamic as possible. Uh, and I'll only be led to make it louder if the artist specifically says, you know, um, it's great, but it, it doesn't, it's not comparing to other things I listen to. And, mm. and you know, it's everyone it, it has, has a right to compare what you do to other, other, other bits of music. I mean, I guess that's how you judge how good mastering can be. Or not? Do, do most? I mean, I don't want you to spill the beans on specifics, but do most? Are most clients sort of letting you do your own thing, or I mean, or they're sort of hovering over your shoulder, going, "Don't, Dave, make it louder." Um, they might come with the general directive, but I think they kind of trust you. you know, your regular clients, they kind of trust you to mm. to master something on its merits. Uh, they know that you know <laughs> which tree they they're barking up, uh, and um, quite often you'll get a reference track. Uh, not that often from the from the artist or the producer. Um, mm. the, the mix engineer will normally send a reference of what everyone else has been listening to to approve the mix, which is normally just like a, a limited copy, maybe with some you know, five minute EQ just to make it sound kind of relevant because, you know, mix masters and finish masters, there's quite a lot of processing that goes on in between, even just mm. level adjustments and, the, and those kind of things. So, um, But no, I mean, I guess you just get people let you get on with it. Um, if they don't like it, you revise it. If they still don't like it, you revise it again. 
if they still don't like it, they might go somewhere else or... Let's flip it, flip it over to something completely different. I wanted to ask you about the hardware that you use in your studio, sure. like mm -hmm. the playback hardware. Um, well, let's start with the speakers. I mean, and also speakers you have used in the past as well, I guess, because you might have something to say about differences or I don't know. I don't know, but maybe. Yeah, well, um, I, I'm very fortunate to work on in two different studios. One has a pair of uh, PMCs and the other has a pair of ATCs. Mm -hmm. and uh, both have um, wonderful speakers, but they both have um, differences. Uh, but I, what I will say is I've, I've mastered music in both studios, the same track, um, played them back in the alternate studios, and, and they virtually sound the same, and it's like through a completely different chain of equipment, converters... Mm. Um, A to D, D to A, um, uh, outboard equipment, and when you listen back to back to back, I can barely tell the difference, and I, I kind of think, well, that's probably just because it's down to me and how I hear stuff. And mm. both both the monitoring systems are, are fantastic. You know, they're they're mind blowingly good. Um, so, given given those parameters i can i can do the same thing in either studio which is kind of mad but true <laughs> so that must speak to your experience and skill you know that you've developed over time i guess so yeah or mm. and these are obviously pmc and atc they'll be active speakers right um they are active speakers yeah both with well the these atcs come with their their own p4 amplifiers like you know mm. um they kind of like air conditioning units and um <laughs> they're, they're 18 inch woofers dual 18 inch woofers and those are mounted in the wall uh imposing fearsome things um they sound great and then the pmcs in the other studio are mb2s with the xbd and they're um towers and they've mm -hmm. got all the lovely Bryston amps sitting in racks either side of them. And that's that's kind of like quite, uh, that appeals to me <laughs> more than the ATC <laughs> air conditioners. Because when we were talking before, you, you, were, you were keen to stress that you are an audiophile oh, outside, yeah. Oh, yeah. outside yeah. of your sort of like professional life, right? Oh yeah, I mean, I, but I, I, you know, I mean, it's hard to define audiophile, but I, I like tinkering around with... Uh, hi-fi equipment of uh, mm. of the last millennium rather than this uh so i'm always buying old speakers and amplifiers and just kind of fiddling around at home with those so and i'm an audiophile in as much as i listen to them and tweak them a bit but uh, i don't i don't listen to a whole lot of music at home to be honest with you because I you spend do all day. most of my day listening to it at work, so you know. Yeah, right. So you have a more of an affinity for for what people loosely might call vintage equipment. Vintage, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah, and uh, and everything that goes with it. I love, I love, all, I love all that that kind of stuff. I'm I'm a bit anti microprocessors and uh, you know the like. <laughs> but you still use DAX. At home and in the studio, right? Yeah, I bought, I bought myself a DAC for home recently, a, a mm. Chinese DAC, which is fantastic. Which incredible. one did you get? Uh, SMSL. It's, you know, ah, yeah, yeah. Everyone, not the current one, it's like, but it was like 140 quid, and it's just it's balanced. I, put, I mm. checked it in the checked it in the studio against the stuff we use in there, and you know, it's 80 percent of the way. It's which is amazing when it costs mm. a fraction of the price. And so that's, yeah. Um, but, uh, but I bet you're dead set against things like, I'm playing devil's advocate here, so forgive me, about USB cables. I bet, I bet you're like, no, I just use a printer cable, right? Uh, well, I'm guilty in the past, but we I have, um, I have kind of um, uh, brought that kind of, 
those advantages and those there are obvious gains in 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 in, in decent cabling there's no doubt mm. about that and it's, it's undeniable <laughs> so hang on a second so, so let me so i want to be clear about this for my audience yeah. so you as a mastering engineer you've used different usb cables in your studio and you've heard differences absolutely oh yeah i've, I've tested them you know not, not not to the nth degree but i've done a, a mastering test with with different usb cables and to um ascertain which one i like the sound of the best and the mm. one that I wanted to use um, in, in a mastering chain. Are you allowed to say which one it is? I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I know. I, I'm not asking which ones you discarded. I'm asking you which one you're using now. But, I mean, what would that just cause their sales to kind of, yeah. Yeah, I know. No, I'm not going to give them any free adverts, John. If they, if they, if they want to, if, if I'll mention it, if you can like sort me out, uh, like one of their really expensive cables, uh, so we can do some real proper tests. About, oh, the really uh, expensive ones. Okay. Yeah. I'm not, but I'm, 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 I'm not talking, we're not, you know, we're, we're running businesses here. We're not, we don't have unlimited funds to, to chuck into the, the, to this kind of, uh, this kind of thing. So, Mm. Um, if something's markedly better than the last thing you use, then you settle there. You don't do the audio file thing and think, well, if that's that better, then if I spend that much more, this is going to be that much better. It's, it's, you know, life's too short and works too long. So. And you have to draw the line somewhere, right? You have to go, right, that's enough of that. And then you've yeah. got to get on with things. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure, yeah. Right. And so you, but you obviously, I, I mean, because I was chatting to Jules Standen last time, the guy from Gear Sluts, and he was saying, I listened, that I listened to his, I listened to the, your interview with him and, uh, yeah, he, he comes from a very parallel universe to me. Actually, I started in uh, studios in London in the early eighties, mm. multi-compost studios. Um, so I, I, I probably have many a similar experience to him regarding tea making and library keeping and that kind of stuff <laughs> and shenanigans that went on in studios i'm sure they still do i'm sure they do but i was i wanted to ask like has the job changed i mean because i mean this is something jules and i were talking about but obviously in the 80s there was no sort of digital equipment Re well maybe there was a bit of it oh, i'm not well, sure the jobs changed massively from that from a you know, mm. from a, a logistical point of view, it's like, mm. you know, you, people can get mixes to you in seconds now and you can do them and send revisions almost automatically. Back in the day, they someone had to turn up clutching the master tape, be it a quarter inch, a half inch of that. Um, so, um, of course, it's changed in that respect. Uh mm. And therefore, you don't see, you don't have the same contact with the the ANR people, the, the the product managers, throughout throughout the labels and the companies and the people you work with. You have to send, you used to have to send everything back for reference on CDRs. Oh right, yeah, but you know, before CDRs, you're sending it back on DATs, and so so. I mean, it's it's very very easy now. <laughs> Right, easier so than ever, easier than ever. Is that in it? I mean, but it, is the end result better than ever, do you think? Um, yeah, I guess it, there's no reason why it can't be. Um, you know, you have technology has only made things easier. To, to, it's easier to make them better. Yeah, mm. you still have all the access to the old technology if that's the that's the the route you uh you wish to to travel down so you know you, I, you have the best of all worlds now i guess i'm asking that question really because of things like spotify and the itunes store mm -hmm. in in the sense that you know never have we had such choice abundant choice and accessibility but I mean, we can come to the next topic in a moment because I'm going to talk about Spotify's new lossless tier. But 
up until really up until yesterday, we'd we'd gone backwards for twenty years in terms of you know the, what most people are exposed to when they're listening to music because most people in the nineties were buying CDs, so we we're yeah. all listening to the same thing. Yeah, and then uh, and the year two thousand two thousand one things forked because iTunes went okay, well we can deliver the same music, audio, yeah, yeah. but yeah, as as a lossy compressed format. And audio files were like, well, we'll stick to our vinyl and our CDs because that's, you know, that's lossless audio. And we sort of, like, as of yesterday, we've sort of started to come full circle because Spotify announced that, you know, that they're going to be doing this hi-fi lossless tier later in the year. That's very generous of them, isn't it? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I just, it's, it's look, okay, from an audio file point of view, I think it's fantastic because it, it puts the idea that better, of better sound quality quality under the noses of you know millions Everyone. of people, mm. right? So it, it makes the conversation about sound quality mainstream again. It makes it okay to have it again. It actually makes it less nerdy because Spotify are now talking about sound quality, even though people could quite rightly and easily grumble twenty years too late. But you know, better late than never, I guess. But I, I guess, sorry, this was my extended point of like, you know, just because things are faster, easier, newer, doesn't mean they're necessarily better. Because for years, Spotify was faster and easier, but to say it's better is no, no not at all. Yeah, I think anyone that was really that concerned about quality would be aware of it and and seek seek an alternative path mm. uh, to to listening to their music um but no that's, that's good. it's it's good that they're they're doing that <laughs> right because if you if you've spent i don't know how long it takes you to master an album but you spend ages working on it in a you know super well kitted out studio and it's sounding fantastic but then you know that it's just going to be squished down to one tenth of its size by spotify or apple music and then listen to on a phone with a fairly average jack inside it and, you know, earbuds. Does that frustrate you? Not particularly, no, because I'm, you know, because it's kind of, it is what it is, isn't it? And hopefully there will be people out there that listen to it in, in, a, in a good environment and appreciate the quality of, of, uh, mm. of the music. So, um but and it's everybody else's loss. It's not my. It's not my. Not my concern. <laughs> right. Oh, fair enough. I mean, I, I'm wondering whether this could be the. Re I mean, this is not your decision. I know, but whether this might be the reason that fabric mixes just aren't don't exist on Spotify, but they do on Tidal. I don't know whether that's a. It's probably a, license. a licensing thing. Yeah, very much. Right. So. Uh, licensing. Which, I mean, it's, a lot of it's very old material, so mm. could revert like. Revert, like um, ask a publishing expert. <laughs> now, you've also started cutting vinyl in the last how Absolutely, many years was it? Dave? Yeah, it's, I've had it about three or four years now. Um, right, and uh, yeah, that's that's been fantastic uh, education and. Uh, it's, it's almost like a homecoming because you know, the records are the first thing I fell in love with and mm. I've had opportunities in the past to to learn and I always kind of pulled away from it because I was so kind of involved in well at that time I was so involved in doing mixes um, not just fabric mixes but like mixing CDs and compilations for other companies myself so uh um but no i had the opportunity a few years ago to get back involved in it and be trained up and um it's 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 a true joy and it's uh working with a lathe it, you know is, is is a wonderful thing and you know you you do test cuts of the stuff you're cutting and you listen back to them in the studio and it's just it's a one, you know. It's, it's, it's a great thing. It's, it's taught me how to master records uh, mm. in a different way as well, because um, you know, mastering for vinyl is a different discipline to to CD or digital formats. So. 
So could you explain to a layman like me I'll try. What, what those differences might be? It's, it's, just, it's down to the physical limitations of, of cutting onto vinyl and then how high frequencies um, and sibilance um, and resonant kind of uh, energy can kind of really distort and upset the cutting cutting system so mm-hmm. you you have to you, you have to ba- you have to balance or in general you normally have to um control that those those that, that those uh, uh pro- that, that, sorry what's the word those items within the sound so, mm-hmm. um whereas before i cut vinyl I, I wouldn't really think too much of it you know i'd think is there enough? Am I putting enough high frequency? Have I got the high frequency nicely balanced? Um, I would now. I, I'm a lot more uh, circumspect about adding unnecessary high frequency or or too much because I'm thinking with my vinyl head on. If that makes mm. sense, it's kind of changed changed the way I, I'm a master. But, you know. So. When you, when you get a release to master, do you always do a CD master and a vinyl master? Always? Um, it's, if, well, for it, if I'm mastering at the cutting room, then obviously it's it's for the it's for it's, yeah. for, it's for the vinyl master. Um, I do subs, subsequent processing to to make to make that a digital master. If it's mm. in the in the CD mastering, if the work has come. The job has come as a CD master, mm. and unless it's specifically asked for, uh, we won't do a vinyl master. But if it is mentioned, then yeah, we'll do a separate kind of part of the album um, with with those with those parameters um, adjusted. So it will you know uh, it will cut much better. Yeah. Mm. And which one do you do first, generally? Um. It depends on the studio. If it's the vinyl studio, you'll do the vinyl master first. If it's the CD studio, you'll do the CD master, mm. and then go back and, and prepare the vinyl master, like taking off various things or readjusting and remastering for the for the vinyl master. So, so I mean, so some I mean, with some projects, the same thing will work for both. You know, it's, it's, it's fine. Uh, then mm. certain types of music where you know you do need a lot of high energy high frequency and uh you wouldn't be able to get that onto vinyl so right okay so but are, are you always working inside a, um a digital audio workstation um everything that i do is obviously captured in a in a workstation mm. um but i'd say 90 Ninety percent of the processing I do is through a, an analog mastering chain of like you know valve EQs or compressors and um, uh, DSs, high frequency mm. limiters, um, normally kind of various smorgasbord of outboard at, at both studios, so you can pick and choose what you want to use. Although you generally tend to use the same things because you know what they do, they're good at, and mm. what, what 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 they're not good at, and and how they can help you as tools. So you start with a digital file, and yep. then run it through an analog domain chain, so to speak. And yeah, then... you basically have two workstations in your studio, mm. or the way I work is you have two workstations. One's a playback, which gets converted via a fancy USB cable (laughs) 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 or into a a, a DAC and then it goes Mm. into your mastering chain you do all your adjustments and you recapture it through an A to D converter, a separate one it doesn't Mm. have to be separate but sometimes it's separate anyway uh, into the second workstation and that's your main one for capturing um, editing compiling adjusting um, and then delivering your 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 audio, right? 
So then when you've got, let's say you're cutting a master for, for vinyl. Mm-hmm. So you, you're, you're going out of your playback work, workstation into your capturing workstation. And then you, you come out with a file again. Do you, you, you then cut, cut the vinyl from that file? Um, generally you, you, you cut directly from a, a mastered file now. Um, mm. so you've already done all the, all the processing. It's not, it's approved from a, a, a mastering point of view. And then you mm. go ahead to cut it. Um, and, uh, so you're just literally playing back a file. Um, there's various, um, things that are just uh, that are adjusted on the input to the to the lathe mm-hmm. um things like the, the the width of the bass and the low frequencies that's reduced to to mono normally under 300 hertz so right. there's, there's no stereo information in vinyl below 300 hertz huh. very very rarely you'll yeah. find um, just because that creates phase problems and the, uh, the, the stylus will start jumping out of the groove with uh, out of phase material in the low frequencies. Right. So I guess what I'm trying to get out here, because I, I've often said, I guess even on the record, that the majority of modern records, so vinyl records that are made, are cut from a digital file. Like, am I oh, right about it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there's very few. You know, there's the the, the, the specialist people that, that cut from vinyl. Uh, sorry, mm. cut from analog. Um, but yeah, it's uh, yeah. I mean, it's, I'm afraid it is um, mm. it is a digital front end. Uh, but there's no doubt that just cutting it onto vinyl creates a new kind of listening experience <laughs> because it becomes yeah. a different thing because you're yeah. you're mastering yeah, in a different way does. right it does yeah. it, like you know it, it changes the you can put something that's um kind of been completely or over compressed and limited with a pretty mm. you know flat waveform put it onto vinyl play it back and all of a sudden it has a certain level of dynamics reintroduced just huh. through that process. Uh-huh. So, so would you? Is it fair to say that? God, I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm going to get into tricky, well, yeah, tricky territory here. But is it fair to say? <laughs> fair to say that a, a vinyl master will have a greater dynamic range? No, 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 no. Right? No, it won't. No, the digital will have a greater dynamic range than a, because, than a master. Because. Well, the reason I ask this is because I hear a lot of people say, well, I buy the vinyl because I'm getting a more dynamic yeah, master. Okay, yeah, it may, it, it, it may do. You might have, this is one for the scientists, but mm. the problem with vinyl is you have the noise floor introduced right. with, you know, uh, just the, the manufacturing process and, you know, the, mm. the, 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 the running, a, running a, a stylus over a groove. Um, so, uh, you obviously have a, a higher noise floor, so it, the, the dynamic range is effectively reduced because you can't listen to it as loud. Right. <laughs> oh God, where am I going? Well, no, because I'm, yeah. I'm just I'm, I'm just thinking of all the things that kind of crop up in the sort of the vinyl conversation, and I'm not trying to say to you, "Hey, Dave, which is best CD or vinyl?" I'm just like some of the nuances of that conversation, like the majority of vinyl being cut from high-res files is a thing that many, many people, even in my audience, don't really know. I mean, I, I don't know whether they think about it or whether they just assume it's always cut from an analog thing or they just, they've just never thought about it, you know? And I always think about this when I buy a record. I'm like, I know this is cut from a digital file, but I'm buying the record anyway mm-hmm. because because of a multitude of other reasons which have been done to death and we yeah. don't need to go through them again. But I'm, I'm, I'm cognizant of that fact. But I, I guess, yeah, I guess yeah, confirming that, it with you. You, you know? may be cognizant yeah. of, the f- of the fact, but you don't let it kind of ruin your experience of, no. of putting, putting that record on and listening to it. It's, it, it. Not at all. I mean, because 
whether it's played back off a digital source, there's probably a good chance it was recorded on digital source unless it's, it really is specialist field, you know, that whole analog, you know, that whole analog, um, 100% analog recording through to mi- to not even mixing, just cutting to disc. And uh, mm. it's, it's not a world I've ever kind of encountered because... Um, it's not my not my not my world. <laughs> right. I mean, do you, I mean, do you have a turntable at home? Um, I've got how many have I got? I've got <laughs> four. Okay. <laughs> okay. Right. No, so you are no, you do, nothing you, fancy. I've got a couple of DJ decks. Um, right. I've got a couple of. Um, I've got a project with an autophone on it. It's nothing. Nothing fancy. Um. Mm. um and some other piece of junk, but uh, but I I very rarely re- you know I've got a lot of records. I only really use the decks very occasionally when friends used to come round back in the good old days, right? Um, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> when I had friends, uh, and uh, so I I no I don't listen to much vinyl, but there again I listen to it two or three days awake in the studio when I'm, when I'm cutting it and, you know. Right. I mean, do you, I, mean, I take I, records I, in there just to have a listen <clears> to <throat> for 10 minutes or so. Mm. That's about the limit of my listening capabilities these days, 10 minutes. Has, I mean, is, has your job uh, sort of negatively impacted your love affair with music? Um, it's changed my perception of it. I guess it's removed the innocence. Um, mm. I'm just, you know, just a bit kind of, uh, um, yeah, a bit. <laughs> I know too much, I guess. Right. <laughs> I, I, I analyze you over you when you work in this field. It's you over analyze you analyze things more than kind of you probably should. From a from a technical point of view, but I try not to let it ruin in my my, my experience. <laughs> right. But if you but if you're playing a record you've never heard before, I mean, is it very hard for you to sort of quieten the the professional part of your brain where going going well? There's a mistake, and I wouldn't have done that, and that bass could have come up a little bit, and you know, the pan left was a bit too hard. I, I don't know. Like, I mean, do you do you? No, li- those those <laughs> are, those are all production things. It's like they're mm. not they're not really things that I'm going to be able to. You know, it's, it's all it's all about the, the big picture, I guess, with mastering. All those mm. little details are down to the artist and the, the producer that, that you know created right. uh, created those things. That's that's their bugbear to carry with them for the rest of their lives, not mine. But surely you get to control the 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 extent the listener might be exposed to that. So, like, if we're talking about a pan left, I mean, yes, that's set in the recording, but you can make me or us the, the listeners more aware of it or not right i if if yeah if if i felt that was required but mm. um yeah yeah no of course you could but, but as i say that's kind of unless specifically asked to to do something like that you know to right. bring up a try and accent a clap on an intro just to give it a bit more crack or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Unless you, someone specifically says, can you do that? Then you, you kind of take it, you take for granted that the mix that you're giving is given is fundamentally what what they want mastered. They, they, they don't want it kind of like remixed or kind of like fiddled with at that level. Right, so you're not allowed to fuck with the details no, too much. I mean, you you I mean, have to be like, yeah. <clears throat> there is stem mastering where people do provide, like, you know, the, the, the raw kind of elements that, and mastering people have got involved in stem mastering, but mm. that's not for me. It's like, you know, you get your mix right and, uh, and I'll do the mastering. I don't really want to start mixing someone's track. That's... Not my job. Not my job, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> Another mastering engineer said that to me a couple of years ago, actually. He was like, well, I'll do it if, if required, but generally I, I, I want to steer away from it. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I guess, I mean, are there mastering engineers out there that 
you're aware of, who you kind of, who you look up to? I mean, it, or are you the guy that other people look up to now? No, God. <laughs> well, I don't know. Like, I mean, <laughs> I know, of course. I mean, I'm, I, I, I guess I kind of, um, oh, what a good question. Uh, no. <laughs> Well, it may, it may be that you just don't follow what other people do. We're a conceited right? bunch. We all believe we're great. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, fair, fair enough. But I just, I just wonder because you know when, you know, like when. Okay, so if like war. No, I mean, there's, or, there's some records that I listen to, and I, I listen to the mastering. I think, wow, how the hell did he get away with that? And then, but it's it still works. It's still great. And you think, oh well, it probably wasn't even the mastering engineer that decided that it was probably uh, mm. you know the producer that wanted it that way yeah, so. and tell me like when you're mastering something is there a, somebody was somebody i can't say who but somebody emailed me about a month ago saying john like i listened to your jewel stand and podcast mm -hmm. but you might not be aware that spotify and streaming services some of them not all of them now normalized to like minus is it 14 yeah. luffs or something Luffs, like that? whatever a luff yeah. is, yeah. Is it loudness unit full scale or something like yep. that? I did look okay. I did look it up. Yep. <laughs> but he, his point was that because of this, the the loudness war is sort of coming to an end. Is, is that something you're seeing or no? Um, I, I, yes, it is. Yes, it is. It is coming to an end. There's fewer and fewer people that kind of demands to have their masters louder um, mm. and occasionally people do ask for quieter masters because it's too loud on someone's Luftsmeter at the uh, at the video at video production or um, so I, yeah and I know, I know that they do operate different algorithms to adjust levels don't they streaming services I think John well, yeah. you can tell me I don't well I mean the normalization is turned on by default now I believe on Spotify anyway and mm. what I understand is that basically if you make there's no point oh, making you, your you master loud you can switch it off though can't you You can yeah you yeah, can yeah yeah so I mean that's <clears> the first thing I did or you know you do you really? switch off that oh, of course yeah right because I, I, I'm just I mean my Spotify listening is different to my other listening but I'm not going to get into that now. But it was just my, the way it was explained to me is that there's no incentive anymore to make your mix loud because Spotify will just turn it down again in the app. Yes. So I'm, so I'm led to believe. Um, uh, so, and that's, but I, as far as what I do, I don't th think about that. I just master to what I think is, the, the the correct level for mm. for what I'm mastering is it can be anything between you know there's a whole range of between six to eight dBs between the quietest stuff I do and the, the loudest and that's that's, right. quite, that's quite a fair amount so yeah right I mean it sounds like a you know, sort of almost like a very sort of mystical process or a rather you'd have to know what the, I don't know what kind of work. How, how would I just describe the skill that you have is that, well, how would you describe the skill? I mean, is it something you have to learn over years and years and years? Is it um, like, just you learn, <laughs> you learn a little bit more every day, I suppose. Um, mm. It's a lot of stabbing around in the, in the, in the dark to start with. Um, mm. But once, once you get your, your head around it, it's kind of, it becomes easier and easier really because you know more and more ways to to do what you want to do um it's just having fancy tone controls <laughs> no that's all it is it's just right. you know it's playing something back of the best quality you can tweaking it a bit and capturing it and making it sound as, as good as you possibly can to you well as good as i think that it possibly can you know, mm. to my ears and Hopefully that kind of matches what other people are hearing too. So that's that's what you're aiming for, just like to be accepted. 
Are you self-taught, or did, did somebody sit you down oh, one no, day and no, go? No, right, no. Right. I, 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 I spent a year in America uh, mm. in 1991, a mastering house there. I learned an mm. awful lot from the Americans and the way they approach, uh, you know, studios, not only studios, but mastering as well. Um, mm. So that that was a real eye opener. I, I came back with a whole uh, heap of things I'd learned there, and then you just learn from the other engineers that you, you work with in a mastering house. You know, most of them, there's several other engineers. You discuss things, you pick up tricks and tips, and and then you just experiment. And uh, yeah, right. And also, I mean, while we're talking about the sort of the economics of this sort of business, you know, with with more and more like more and more music coming out, so th- yeah, what, what, what was? Are you more in demand now than you ever were? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you- I, guess, I guess so. Yeah, I'm I'm working kind of pretty flat out at, at, at both mm. studios, so that's yeah. I suppose that's that's it. I've been through quieter times in my career so i'm you know i'm fast approaching 60 and i can Mm. still uh, still seem to uh, make eq decisions in the studio so that's that's kind of cool um and nor may it continue (laughs) hmm well, I think that's a great place to finish, Dave. Oh, it's, <laughs> yeah! I it mean, was it, quite, it's, it's, it was quite, quite good. Long way to continue. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, okay, brilliant. Thanks, John. Thank you so much for your time, Dave. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. My pleasure. I look forward to um, catching up with you again soon. You have been listening to the Darko Audio Podcast with me, John Darko, and mastering engineer Dave Turner. This episode was produced by Nick McCorriston and music came from Ben Pitt.